0: Wow. Well, good morning. It's great to be. I've been really looking forward uh, to being up here in in Manchester. One, um, because it's um, this is a a pioneer church. In fact, kind of leading pioneer in the north of England. Um, But but also because I'm, it gets me out of London. I'm I'm actually Bradford born and bred. I know it's the other side of the Pennines, so you know, kind forgive me for that. But it's just good to be uh, in the north, uh, and uh, you know, you know, I've, the is I've lived in London just too, far too long. You know, I've kind of lost the accent. Whoa! Uh, I've kind of um, I, I talk about having a laugh as opposed to having a laugh. Uh, don't worry about it. I'll sort that. Out, yeah. Um, I talk about having a. Bath, as opposed to having a bath, and you know, just kind of, everything's gone drastically wrong with my accent. But having said all that, um, it is really great um, to be here and to have an opportunity to just to talk a little bit about um, some of the things that are really important to us. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you um, to open your Bibles, and in fact, you might want to do it now. Do you might to get your, your Bibles out or your phone? or your iPad, or whatever it might be, um, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10. But before, um, before we do that, I hope you, will you just allow me just to kind of get an advert out of the way as it were. And um, you, saw the, you saw the little animation there and unapologetically I want to ask you um, to consider becoming a member of the Evangelical Alliance. This church is a, is a member um, and really w- w- we need... Tens of thousands of individuals to say we're part of this evangelical lives. Because we, we exist to serve people like you, churches like this. We, we exist to speak on your behalf, whether it's at Westminster, whether it's in the parliaments and assemblies across the United Kingdom. We need to be able to speak on behalf of people that will actually believe the Bible is the word of God actually are passionate to see people come into relationship with God. And you know, your voice needs to be heard. And we have a, a team of people. I want you to know this this team of people that, that I work with are just an amazing group of people, incredibly equipped. And week in and week out, they're going into Westminster. They're talking to civil servants. They're talking to, uh, to ministers. And they're talking to MPs about issues that matter to you. Let me just give you one example. Uh, about 18 months ago, the government said, It would be a good idea to inspect any children's work or youth work which was doing more than six hours a week. And we kind of thought, that's not a great idea, because we knew the impact that would have on churches, which is Ofsted-type inspections of Sunday schools, Ofsted-type inspections of youth work, of of kind of festivals and all that kind of thing. So we decided we were going to talk to the government about them and try to persuade them how a bad, what a bad idea that was. And for about pretty much about nine, nine months to a year, we talked to the government consistently about it. And in May this year, they backed down and said they weren't going to go ahead with that particular piece of legislation. We thought that was a big win. Uh, we, we thought that actually that's something that's worth celebrating. So we need to, to be able to speak on your behalf in those kind of settings. But also, we're not just about being a voice for you, but we're also about being, bringing together churches, individuals, in to enable us to be more effective in our mission. Because we want to see... We want to kind of see every person in the United Kingdom having an opportunity to come to know Jesus for themselves. We want that, don't we? And we're convinced that when Jesus prayed that they might be one in John chapter 17, he prayed that they might be one that the world might believe. There's something about unity which enables us to be more effective for the gospel. And so I'm just going to say, hey, how about you joining the Evangelical Alliance? I'm going to be at the back at the end, and uh, there's a little membership form that you can uh, take away, fill out. And if you take it away, fill it out, and just put a little note that you've got it in Manchester. We will send you a little book um, that I've just recently written on the whole theme of unity and exploring um, Jesus in John chapter 17 and the prayer that he prayed there. Okay. That's, that's the end of the advert. Okay, so you can relax now. And uh, you've, got your, you've got your Bibles. You're open there in, uh, in Hebrews. And, um, you know, I have just recently um, become a grandparent. And uh, this little bundle of humanity called Judah, um, I've just fallen in love with him. And we've kind of just bonded and we kind of, he's 20 months old now and uh, he comes to my house a lot and we kind of wander around the house and he's got this deep fascination about the security. You know those kind of lights at the corner of the room that kind of about movement sensitive, you know those? He loves these flashing lights at the corner of the room. So we wander around the house checking on security, making sure they work. And, um, but what, having Judah come into my life has, has caused me to reflect on how is Judah going to find faith? And how is that faith going to be sustained in the 21st century UK as we know it? Because we're, we're living in, in uncertain times, aren't we? You know, kind of almost where, whatever direction we look Um, Across the UK, nationally and indeed internationally, we see uncertainty. We we can just mention one word and I'll mention the word Brexit. Have you heard that word before? (laughs) Can you get away from that word? But it's uncertainty, isn't it? Whether we talk about gun and knife crime in in our cities, whether we talk about terrorism, whether we talk about the impact of austerity on so many people, We are living with uncertainty. We're living with insecurity, and of course, internationally, we're living with the issues of climate change. We're living almost where everyone looks across the globe with conflict. We're living with 60 million displaced people on the face of the planet. Uncertain times that we live in. And of course, for some of us, that uncertainty becomes very personal. Whether it's uncertainty about employment, whether it's uncertainty about relationships, whether it's uncertainty about our finances or our health or our future, uncertainty as part, for some of us, it's part of our lives. And for us as a Christian community, we are having to ask the question, how do we navigate our faith? in the midst of such uncertainty, such insecurity. Because as well, for us as Christians here in the UK, there are particular challenges that we're we're facing at the moment. For some of us, we're having to learn how to live in a society that in some areas is hostile to the things that we hold dear. Some of the truths that we think are very important. We're having to learn to live. I talked a, bit, a little bit about yesterday with the leaders. We're having to learn to live on the wrong side of social orthodoxy. I want to suggest actually, in the midst of all this uncertainty, we're also living in times of incredible opportunities. Amazing opportunities for the gospel. I think there's an openness to the gospel that, frankly, I I, I can't remember for decades, actually. And week in and week out, we're hearing of people coming to Christ in all kinds of different ways. People are responding in the midst of uncertainty. And in some ways, in the midst of opposition for some, people are coming to Christ. These are days of opportunity as well as opposition. It was a few months ago now, I, I decided to work my way through the book of Hebrews and to read it through slowly. The reason being that the, the, the book of Hebrews is, is, is it's written to a group of Christians that are, were, are, were living at a time not dissimilar to our own. These were Christians that had they'd, they'd come, become followers of Jesus and hearing the stories of Jesus from people who had been with Jesus. Here's were people that had seen some amazing stuff. They'd seen signs and they'd seen wonders. They were right there in the apostolic age and they'd seen really significant growth. But things had changed. Opposition had grown stronger and more sustained. Some of people who were part of this community had, had been tempted By their old life, they'd gone back into it. Relationships in this community, in this church, for some had gone sour. Friends had moved away. And some were beginning to ask the question, is the sacrifice that we faced really been worth it? Some had lost properties. Many had lost social status. Some had been put in prison. And the writer is writing to these Christians with a view to strengthen them in their faith. They need, to, they need help to be able to navigate their faith in these uncertain times that they were facing. They needed a resilient faith in, an unchange, in a changing world. And so the book of Hebrews is written to these group of Christians. And uh, we're going to read from verse 19 in chapter 10. Okay. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Now, I, I, let's just stop there for a, for a moment. I, I, kinda, I, I need to explain the therefore word. See, the therefore... Refers to everything that's gone before. The therefore is about nine and a half chapters before we get to chapter 10, verse 19. Okay? And these ch- these nine and a half chapters, they're pretty much dominated by one theme, and the theme is this: just how great Jesus is. I, I was so encouraged, Dave, that we read Hebrews 8. Uh, to start with at the very beginning of of the meeting. Because that was the theme, it was running through. The whole book to this point is pretty much focused on the amazing Jesus. The very first verses in Hebrews chapter 1. Let me just read them to you. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Who's His Son? Who's His Son? Jesus. Has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification from sin, he, Jesus, sat down where? At the right hand of the majesty in high, so that he, Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, he starts off the theme, which is going to go on for nine and a half chapters, telling us how great Jesus is. The themes go like this, Jesus more powerful than any angel. Jesus greater than Moses. Jesus more effective than any high priest. Jesus seated in majesty next to the Father. Jesus, fully God, and yet able to understand humanity because he's fully human. Jesus, who speaks on our behalf. Jesus, whose sacrificial death makes forgiveness possible. Jesus, who brings a new covenant to us. Jesus, 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 for nine and a half chapters. I want to suggest to you a resilient faith in an uncertain world. needs to make sure we put Jesus center stage. Do you remember those early days when you first became a follower of Jesus? I I look back on those days and let me tell you, it wasn't the great church I joined. It wasn't the amazing worship or the Bible teaching. There was just something about Jesus. I fell in love with Jesus. Do you remember those days? And the writer is exhorting us to, to get back to Jesus. Let me re, let's read the passage. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way for us, opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, Over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us Consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. Do you notice the three letter statements? Let me say, when the writer says let us, he's not saying, well, if you don't mind, or if it's okay with you, or, you know, well, if you get chance. No, 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 no. He's making a really strong statement. He's saying, hey, let us. He's saying, hey, take this seriously. Don't ignore this. Let us. And the first let us is verse 22. Let us draw near to God. It's a decisive act. It's something we keep on doing. You know, I've discovered it is... It's easy sometimes to get complacent in our faith. It's easy where we drift, where God becomes a bit of a habit, where our relationship with Him is a bit of a ritual. One of the things I I love, one of the... The part of our mission team's work is we have what's called a Great Commission Hub, and we begin together, bring together some great resources from right across the, the kind of evangelical community for making Jesus known. But every, or nearly every Monday morning, there's this video clip that goes up, and it's usually about two and a half minutes, and it usually involves somebody who's just recently become a, a Christian, and they tell their stories, and it's people from all different backgrounds and they tell their stories about Jesus and how they fall in love with Jesus. And now they follow Jesus and what difference Jesus has made to their lives. We need to keep ourselves fresh by remembering what Jesus has done for us. It's easy to forget. Verse 22, let's read it all. Let us draw near to God. With sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to notice this isn't just for new Christians. No, it's for, for us who have been around in the faith for a while as well. The book of Hebrews has a lot to talk about. cleansing. Talk about cleansing from sin. Now, in the 21st century UK church, we tend not to talk about sin all that much. And I kind of understand that. And we've got other ways to describe it. But the Bible has a lot to talk about sin. And, And Hebrews has a lot to talk about as it talks about it. Sin needs to be cleansed, the writer says. Jesus made a way for us to be clean. You know what? We do not need to live with a guilty conscience. In fact, I don't believe we were designed to live with guilty conscience. Actually, I'd go further. I think having a guilty conscience is bad for our health, physical health, mental well-being. We were never designed for a guilty conscience. The beautiful news of the gospel is our consciences can be cleansed, can be cleaned. Our sins can be forgiven. Drawing close to God means dealing with the stuff of life that gets in the way between us and God. I'm sure you've heard the saying, but it's worth repeating. God loves us so much that he accepts us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He's committed to cleansing, to working with us that sin might be dealt with, might be cleansed. So maybe, maybe today as we look at this, this scripture, maybe for some of us we know that some stuff, some sin, some cleansing that God wants to do. Maybe today God's put his finger on something. And even as I say that, you know there's an area that God wants to deal with. He wants to, to be cleansed. Later on in Hebrews, Hebrews 12, there's another set of lesser statements. And it starts off like this Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. It's the same statement the the writers of the Hebrews is making as he's made in Hebrews 10. We're to be cleansed so that we can run the race that God's called us to run and to run it with resilience, to run it with perseverance. So the first, let us let us draw near to God, and as we draw close to Him, let's get, let's deal with some of the stuff that gets in our way. Second, let us verse twenty-four. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging. One another, so the second let us let us consider how much we need each other. So we draw close to God's, but God knows we need more, we need each other. Do you know that's true? God knows we need more, we need each other. And the writer knew he, we, he couldn't make it on his own, and we can't make it on our own. Thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit that comes to us and fills us and enables us to be the people he's called us to be. But we need each other. The writer uses really strong language. Have you noticed it there? Spurring one another on to love and good deeds. There's another word that we don't use all that much these days. Uh, And uh, I used to be in a church that had this word in its name. The word is fellowship. That word, actually, one translator translated it like this, translated it as enthusiastic love. We are called to enthusiastic love with each other. We are called to fellowship with each other so we draw close to God but we draw close to each other in the book that I waved about earlier one of the issues I take on is there is a concept out there of churchless Christianity <laughs> let me tell you the early church if you talked about churchless Christianity they would have just laughed <laughs> no 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 when you came to Christ you joined the family you were part of the family you're part of the church no, no, no. Churchless Christianity. No, no, no. What, what on earth could that possibly be about? God has called us together. We look around at each other, not as colleagues or even as neighbours. No, 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 no. We look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are family together. Yeah. And thank God for the the diversity. It was great doing what we we did earlier, Dave, and going around and recognising the diversity, the, the different nations and ethnicities that are part of this church. We're part of a family of church which is across the face of the earth with extraordinary diversity, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need each other. We need each other. And so maybe... Maybe this morning, there's a little challenge for some of us. Maybe our relationships in the family aren't what they should be. Maybe there are areas of relationships that are out of order. Let me make it specific. Maybe at the end of the meeting, uh, and you see someone, and, and they're at that exit. You make a decision to go out that exit. Because things are out of order. Maybe there are some phone calls that need to be made. Or at the end of the, the meeting, a, hey, could we have a coffee together this week? Could we chat something through? Maybe, actually, it might be quite serious, whereby you need help to be able to sort some stuff out. But the writer is really clear, hey... Let us consider how much we need each other. We need to make it up. Our relationships with each other are a priority as far as God's concerned. And then the final let us. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So we draw close to God. We draw close to each other and we hold on unswervingly to our hope. Now, some of the Hebrew Christians had swerved. They'd lost sight of their hope. They drifted. They'd lost faith. They'd gone backwards. Now, hey, of all the people on the face of the earth, we've 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 got to be the hope-filled people, aren't we? Are we? Thank you for agreeing with me. There's at least one lady on the second row who's agreeing with me with that. Okay, we are the hope-filled people, aren't we? We are people of hope. It's not just any hope. We are the people who are convinced that the nine and a half chapters of Hebrews belongs in the Bible. That Jesus is the focus of our hope. Because of Jesus, everything changes. God intervening in humanity, intervening in his creation to put things right, the rescue plan of God for the whole of his creation and the whole of humanity is caught up in that person of Jesus. That's our hope, isn't it? That's who we put our trust in. Nine and a half chapters. Hope based upon what God has done for us. And let me tell you, living in 21st century UK, it is easy to swerve. It is easy to lose hope. We are bombarded by another story. We're bombarded by a story which has, as a presupposition, a, a, a couple of statements. And the statements are, there is no God. And all this is the result of an enormous cosmic accident. That's what comes at us. It comes at us from our television sets. It comes to us from Hollywood. It comes from us from social media. It comes to us from so many different directions... There is no God, and all this is an accident. And that results in a whole set of isms, individualism, consumerism, atheism, humanism, you name it. But the whole set of isms which are focused upon me. I am the center of my universe. I get to decide. Nobody else gets to decide. Now, as a Christian community, we come with another story, don't we? We we are convinced there is a God. Is this a church that's convinced there is a God? Good. Good, good, good. I'm in the right place. So we believe there is a God. We believe He's a creator God that made all things. We believe in the God that didn't abandon creation, didn't abandon humanity. But when everything went wrong, got involved to clear up the mess. We believe in a God that is working His purposes out towards an end. And the end isn't a whole set of isms. No, the end is a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation. But those two narratives, those two stories conflict with each other, don't we? And we live in that place in the middle where those two stories meet. And we are bombarded by another story and that's why it's vital that we hold on to our hope that we do not swerve our hope has a completely different story so how do we hold on to our hope well i want to ask a question of us this morning are we feeding our hope you see i mean t- this morning Two hours together, we worship God together. Fantastic worship, wonderful praise, hearing from God, prayer. We, we open the Bible and I'm, I'm preaching and, and I'm, I'm coming with with another story, different to the world's story. But then we go off, don't we? And maybe we're involved in a prayer meeting during the week or we've brought, of all of a small group and it's all great. But hey, we're bombarded day in and day out by another story. So how do we feed our hope. Because if we don't feed our hope, we will be fed with doubt. That's what we're being fed with. We'll be fed with unbelief. So I I speak to myself. I challenge myself. What's my diet? What are my spiritual disciplines? What, What am I reading? What... What what music am I listening to? Am I drawing close to God in prayer and in worship, not just on a Sunday morning? Am I in fellowship with, oh, I use that fellowship word. Am I in, in gatherings of enthusiastic love with brothers and sisters in Christ where we spur one another on, encourage one another with another story, with another narrative? Am I doing that? Because, of course, if I'm not, the danger is that I will swerve. I will lose hope. I won't be holding on to my hope. See, as we navigate faith in these uncertain times, we need to be holding on to faith and hope and challenging the narrative that comes at us from so many other directions. And so maybe maybe this morning, for some of us, just as I said that, was a bit of a challenge for us. What's the rest of the week going to look like in terms of our feeding of ourselves? Of feeding our hope? Of sustaining our hope? Are we putting in the necessary disciplines in our lives that day in and day out we feed our hope? Well, maybe there's a challenge for us as we reflect on that. So, Let's come to a conclusion, shall we? And we're going to pray in a moment. The writer gives us three strong statements, three let us statements. Let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to each other. And let's hold on, unswervingly. But, but as we take those challenges, I, I also want, just kind of want to say this. This is not a time for us to fear. Actually, I think, as I said earlier, this is a time I think of a fantastic opportunity. God is doing some amazing stuff across the United Kingdom, but also across the world. We, We we know, don't we? We know the nine and a half chapters are true. Jesus is amazing. He's all-powerful. And we know we've read the end of the story. We know God wins. Do we know that? He wins. The devil is defeated. He's already defeated. He's just still fighting a rearguard action. In the end... God will wrap it all up, a new heaven and a new earth, new creation, and we find our place alongside Him. We worship, we read read some scripture which spoke of that this morning. We know He wins. We're on the winning side. And so this is not a resilient faith in a hopeless situation. No, we're on the winning side. Thank God He has won the victory for us. And so as we pray together, let's affirm that as our hope. We are not a fear-filled people. We are a hope-filled people. God's people, at work in His purposes, working alongside Him in His mission for the world. So let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to, I think I'm handing over to Dave, and however we want to conclude our meeting together. I, you noticed, I, 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 during the course of this talk, I, uh, there were a few maybe statements I made. This, is a, this perhaps is a moment where you just reflect on the maybes. Just a moment to to reflect. Has God put his finger on a, a particular area of sin? Are, are you living with a guilty conscience? Well, this, so, the good news of this morning is that forgiveness is available: cleansing, a clearing away of, of guilt, a cleanness of conscience. And if he's put his finger on that, why don't you just have a little conversation we've got about it right now? Just, just talk to him. Ask for forgiveness. Name it for what it is. Ask for forgiveness. Maybe, maybe for some of us, we just recognize there's been a, a drifting, a swerving in our faith. We've not held on to hope. Our diet has not been great. Maybe this is a a moment where we just affirm our need of God to come to us by the power of His Spirit and to bring fresh hope to us, enable us to see things clearly, see things as they really are. And then maybe for some of us, as we spoke about relationships and needing each other, there was a recognition that there were relationships in our lives that are out of order. This is a moment just to bring that to Him and ask for His grace to find a way through, to bring restoration. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to do what we cannot do, to work in the core of our being, to work in our hearts, to speak to us, to meet with us, to heal us, to de- help us to determine, to take actions that, that need to be put in place, to, to sort stuff out. Holy Spirit, would you come to each of us now? Help us to know what you're asking of us. Help us to respond with obedience. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.